Hello, welcome to another episode of Why Did I Like It? I am Mike A. Sims, a.k.a. The Nefarious. And today we're going to look at Why Did I Like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. All right, so let's get right down to it. First and foremost, He-Man was created by Roger Sweet for Mattel. It was a toy line that was supposed to make the same kind of impact as a Star Wars or, you know, other, like, I think Transformers, things like that. It was made in the 80s. So the, the toy line was created based on simplicity. The person who created the toy line realized that with a lot of popular toys at the time, which was in the 80s, simplicity was key. Kids didn't want things that had too much complex parts aside from Transformers. So he, lo- he opted for something that was just very basic. That's why He-Man's design is just like a, a, <laughs> like a chest leather strap belt and a loincloth and boots. Basically, that's really it. And he was created with three different um, prototypes. The first being a soldier, the second being a spaceman, and the third being a barbarian, which was based on Cro-Magnon men, which is like early band, whatever, and Vikings. And so the board members or the people at Mattel decided that the easiest one and the most relatable one was the barbarian. And so He-Man became a sort of Viking warrior. This actually is the beginning of that kind of era where toys dictated the backstory in comics, because the toy came first and then came the comic in 1982. The He-Man comic expanded on the backstory and made He-Man more than just an action figure. He was the defender of Eternia. And it's in particular this castle called Grayskull that has housed all this magic power that the main villain Skeletor was trying to get to. Now, the comics, I wasn't really familiar with. I'm not going to lie to you. It was 1982. I was born in 86. It was before my time. And I know you can read older comics, but, you know, I'm a Marvel and DC guy. So outside of those, I, I seldom venture. But the cartoon, I do remember very distinctly. The 1983 cartoon, which came after the comics. And this is the one that actually put He-Man on the map as far as, you know, longevity and cultural impact. Because the toys, yeah, they blew up. But the cartoon gave you a reason to have the toys, if that makes sense. So... Basically, the cartoon kind of tweaked some of the comics because, you know, whatever, that's what they always do. So instead of just being He-Man, he was actually Prince Adam of Eternia. He also had a twin sister named Adora who would go on to be She-Ra. That's a whole different story. And he defended the castle Grayskull from Skeletor and his minions. And he would would change from Prince Adam to He-Man by lifting his sword, his power sword up and saying, by the power of Skull," And then he would transform into like a more muscular, confident dude. And then he'd be like, I have the power. And he would have the power. He would subsequently <laughs> achieve the power. And this cartoon blew up. It's the 1980s. And so, you know, what's funny, actually, the fact that they even had to make this toy line Mattel was because they made a huge gaffe. And you know, what? I'll just do it right now. I'm going to feed you baby birds. Big Eagle. Big Eagle. So Mattel had the opportunity to make Star Wars action figures back in 1976. Now, of course, the initial buy-in, not of course, but the initial buy-in to uh, license these figures was $750,000. So Mattel was like, yeah, no, we're not going to pay $750,000 to an unknown IP intellectual property, to an unproven director, George Lucas. I think he had done one movie before that, which was American Graffiti, which was about the 1950s teenage scene, which inspired Happy Days and whatever have you in Greece. And they're like, we're not going to spend that kind of money on something that we don't know, especially when it's, we, you know, we'd be licensing it and we wouldn't really own it. So they said no. So Kenner Toys was like, I'll do it. And they took on, you know, the Star Wars IP. And these 
when I tell you the Star Wars toys, there's even documentaries about it. They were a cultural phenomenon. To this day, there are people and there are collectors and there are experts on the Star Wars toys that will look at the packaging, know certain labels, certain fonts, certain textures to be like, that's a Kenner original. So Mattel was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't know it was going to be this big. But by that time, the ship had already passed. That's what led to the creation of He-Man because they were like, you know what? Star Wars was a huge hit to us, to our ego, to our financial bottom line, to our wherewithal as far as understanding what could be the next big thing and enter the He-Man creation. So the more you know. Anyway, so He-Man also had a bunch of different because, you know, obviously with toys and with just characters and cartoons and things in general, you need an expanded lineup. So He-Man wasn't just the only one. As I said before, he had a twin sister named Princess Adora, but She-Ra wasn't really in He-Man. He-Man would be in her series, which was a spinoff, but she wasn't really in his. But he did have you know, some companions. He had Tila, who was the daughter of... <laughs> hey, this is my favorite name in any cartoon ever. Uh, He-Man's best friend and the inventor, the tech guy, because there's always a tech guy in these cartoons and in any, everything. So the tech guy who would make the advanced weapons and stuff like that for Eternia and was a close friend to the royal family. His name is Duncan, but his code name is Man at Arms. My man's name is Man at Arms. Like, that's his name. Like, it's like, I'm He-Man, that's Tila, and that's Man at Arms. Like, I love that name. So it's, I'm not, there's no hyperbole. There's no wink, wink, nudge, nuts. It's not tongue in cheek. I genuinely love that name for a character. Like I wish I was a wrestler so I could call myself man at arms because my arms are also very long. So I wish I was man at arms. Like, just, yeah, this is, yo, this is the squad. You see him right there. That's he, man. He lifts up his sword. Lift up his sword real quick. Comes a whole different dude. Mad powerful. That's Tila. She's a sorceress. Mad strong. You don't want to mess with her. And this right here, that's Orko. He's also a wizard, last of his kind. You can only see his eyes as a big floppy red hat. And this right here, that man right there, that's man at arms. And he's <laughs> he's the weapons dude. He's got man at arms. That was essentially He-Man's crew. There was also some, exp- he also had Cringer, a.k.a. Battle Cat. Cringer was He-Man's pet cat or like pet cat type thing. And what He-Man would do, because Cringer was terrified of everything, is He-Man would like, when he had to run into battle, when he wasn't Prince Adam, which there's really no difference between Prince Adam and He-Man. It's like very slight. They both had the same blonde bobs, like that like that like mid-90s, like, like soccer mom bob, where it's like, oh my goodness, Dennis, do you want to have some snacks before you go to the soccer game? And she'd come there and she'd have a bunch of snacks and she's all sweet, but she has that bob that she's had for years. That's what He-Man was rocking. He was rocking the soccer mom hair. And um, so whenever he'd run into battle as He-Man, he would like point his sword at battle at um Cringer, who was terrified. He would turn him into Battle Cat, and Battle Cat would be mad, like, like confident. And He Man would like ride him around. And it was always weird to me that he would just point his weapon at his animal and just turn him into like a ferocious beast. But that was his crew, and they would constantly take on Skeletor. Now, there's something. Hold on, I gotta go into this real quick. It's rant time. The thing about He Man in the '80s, the later cartoon, the revivals and reboots would actually have him be more like aggressive and violent and whatever have not aggressive but he would be more um action-based but in the 80s cartoon if you go back and watch it a lot of times he-man wouldn't really fight his enemies or defeat them with you know just raw brute strength he would actually talk them into submission he would just be like hey you know it's not good to do wrong and maybe you shouldn't be so evil and they would be like you know what he-man i never thought about that it was it's something that i can't stand when superheroes do it they also did it in the finale of supergirl on the cw they also did it in what was the other show and uh, Wonder Woman at the end where she gave a speech to everybody around the world to renounce their wishes. Like, 
He-Man, his whole thing is that he's based on Vikings and he's based on fighting and brute strength and being a warrior. But when it comes down to when there's a, a villain of the episode, because it was villain of the week t- uh, type stuff, he would just simply be like, hey, don't do that. Stop it. Stop it now. And they'd be like, okay. So I'm like, He-Man, murk this dude. Murk him. He's trying to take your power from Eternia. He's trying to threaten your family. He's trying to take your money and he's trying to kill men at arms. And He-Man's like, no, no, no. A simple speech will do. I have the power. That's what they always did back in the day, though, because G.I. Joe did the same thing. Cobra was trying to take over the world. They were a terrorist organization. And G.I. Joe's sitting there trying to give out life lessons. I, I mean, granted, in the 90s, we had a lot more violence because Batman and, and the X-Men were not trying to hit at. But, like, I mean, come on, guys. Like, you have a sword with you. Your whole thing is having a sword. You're really going to have a speech right now, a sit-down conversation. Rant over. Anyway, as I also said, though, Orko was the last member of that team, and it was like a floating wizard thing that you only saw its yellow eyes and had a red hat on and a red robe and had a big O in the center of his chest in case, I guess, he forgot his name. I don't know. It was the 80s. And Skeletor was the main villain. He was always trying to just get the power, <laughs> power of Castle Grayskull. I don't even know why, because Skeletor was a formidable villain. So I don't know why he was constantly trying to run back and be like, I need the power of Grayskull. Like, you're already mad strong. Like, how much more power do you need? I mean, I guess that's why he's a villain. He's power hungry. As a villain myself, I am also power hungry, but I am subservient to the overlord who runs this entire operation. May he long reign and strike fear into the hearts of podcasters everywhere. But yeah, so uh, after the initial series ended, He-Man was everywhere. I was really, really young, obviously, because I was born 86. The series came out 83. But TBS and other networks would constantly play the, the series over and over again. It was run by Phil. It was produced by Filmation. And so back in the day, you know, it was cheap to just get a bunch of cartoon episodes and throw them on in the morning before kids went to school. So I saw He-Man all the time. saw it after school, whatever. I remember liking it because I liked the characters and the character designs. But I remember the sh- like the show itself was kind of corny. What I love, though, is coming up soon. They did pitch a sequel series in 1990 when I was a little bit older. But by then, I was Ninja Turtles up, Batman out. There was no way I was going back to, you know, a dude in a loincloth. Like, it was just, it was, it was whatever. But, but there was one thing by He-Man I would constantly watch. And it wasn't even called He-Man. It was called Masters of the Universe. And it was a 1987 movie starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Let me repeat that for those in the back who didn't hear it. It was a 1987 He-Man movie called Masters of the Universe starring Dolph Lundgren. If there's nothing else you learn about me from this podcast, keep that camera on me. Keep that microphone on me for the podcast. If there's nothing else you learn about me, it's that I love, I love Dolph Lundgren. I, I, I will see anything that man is in. I saw this documentary, this mockumentary on HBO where he played a former cyclist. It's called Farmer or something like that. It's produced by Andy Samberg. I watched it just for Dolph Lundgren. He's in it for like five seconds. I saw Creed 2 because Dolph Lundgren was in it. I saw... The Rocky with, uh, was Rocky Four because Dolph Lundgren was in it. Ivan Drago, I must break you. I love Dolph Lundgren. I even saw the Captain America movie. Was he in that one? He was in something. I don't know. Point is, anything with Dolph Lundgren in it, I will watch it. The Expendables, doesn't matter. I had to just let you know how much I love this man. And there's no shame there. Actually, you can shame me. Shame me. Shame, shame me for loving this man. Shame, shame me. But it's all right. Dolph Lundgren, if you ever listen to a podcast about 90s nostalgia where somebody is trying to sift through the, the histories of their life to see whether or not they like things that might have been lame, then just know that this man who does that podcast loves you. Anyway, 
Oh, yeah. Courtney Cox from Friends was also in it, but I feel like she was in a lot of things, so I don't really care. Anyway, it was directed by Gary Goddard, and it grossed $17 million on a $22 million budget. So it wasn't the biggest hit in Hollywood at the time, but it did get a cult following. That is true. And it's it's one of the movies where, I mean, it's it's so unbelievably 80s. Like it's As a matter of fact, the plot kind of roughly follows the cartoon, except it deviates from the Eternia thing, and it brings Dolph Lundgren, Man-at-Arms, and Tila to Earth. Man-at-Arms. I just love that name. It brings them to Earth because, for whatever reason, Skeletor um, is trying to get Castle Grayskull again. And he gets this thing called the Cosmic Key, which uses music to open a portal to travel between dimensions or universes or whatever it is. And so He-Man and his crew try to stop Skeletor. They get into a whole mess. So they're like, we have to get out of here. They use the Cosmic Key and they end up on Earth where they meet two teenagers. It's Courtney Cox and some other guy named Kevin. And Kevin is a musician because it's the 80s and everyone's a musician. I mean, Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future. Everybody in the 80s was a musician. Even Howard the Duck was in a band. So he's like, oh, he sees the cosmic key. And because he's an idiot teenager <laughs> in the 80s, he's like, this must be a Japanese synthesizer. There's, no, there's nothing to support this theory. He just says it. And he's like, I should bring it to my friend Charlie's music store. So he brings it to Charlie's music store. And of course, Skeletor, I don't know how he travels without the cosmic key, but whatever. Skeletor and his crew come to Earth and they're looking for He-Man and the cosmic key. And these teenagers are like running away. And then... Courtney Cox's parents also died in a plane accident at some point before this thing started. And, you know, He-Man is running around just being all sweaty in his loincloth and they're battling in the, the high school, they're battling whatever. They eventually end up back in Eternia with the teenagers, with them for some reason. And also this detective who's trying to figure out what's going on. There's only one detective. Always remember in 80s movies, if, 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 whether it's, it's a slasher movie or a sci-fi movie, there's only one detective who's trying to figure out what's going on. The rest of the police force is like, nah, it's the 80s, who cares? But it was one guy who's like, I got to figure it out. Detective uh, Lubbock, I think is his name. By the way, Skeletor is played by Frank Langella, who he's one of the best actors of all time. And the fact that he's in this elevates Skeletor to like amazing levels. Like it's, I, I, I know that, especially in the 2000s, it was very, in 2010s, it was very like hip and chic to be like ironically loving movies that were really bad. I don't believe in that. I don't have guilty pleasures. If I enjoy something, I love it. So I genuinely love this movie. And there's also the scene where they where they travel from Earth to Eternia, like with the teenagers, and they're transported, and half of a car is transported with them because the car was stuck somehow in the portal. And I thought that was so cool that they clearly like cut this car in half just for this scene. Anyway, when they go back to Eternia, they try to stop Skeletor, who somehow got Dolph Lundgren slash He-Man and was torturing him. And Dolph Lundgren's all sweaty. He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you what you want. He's also not from America, so his accent is fantastic. If you don't know who Dolph Lundgren is, please look him up and just listen to him speak. I'm no, he's also a genius, but people think he's not because of how he sounds and because of the characters he plays, but he's actually very smart. I'm not going to quit Skeletor. Skeletor's like, you will, He-Man, you will. Anyway, long story short, Man-at-Arms and He-Man and them defeat them. The teenagers go back to Earth. Somehow, they also travel back in time. So Courtney Cox is able to tell her parents, hey, 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 don't get on that plane because you'll die. And they're like, okay. And then she goes outside and her boyfriend, Kevin, who's an idiot slash, you know, guitarist is like, yeah, all that stuff really happened. I remember it. Do you? And she's like, yeah. And they have like an orb that shows He-Man. Like He-Man gave him an orb from Eternia. And all the orb does is show He-Man in front of Castle Grayskull holding up his sword. So that's like He-Man gave them a picture of himself. <laughs> I was like, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I'm He-Man. Anyway, so let me put a button on this episode because that's really where I should, should end it. Why did I like it? 
because of the movie. Like I, I somebody like I remember having a couple. He oh also well why did I like it because of the <laughs> the movie. Someone got me a couple like He Man toys from like a, a pharmacy or like a garage sale or something for some birthday, and I remember being like, oh this is cool. But the movie, I I was obsessed with it. Whenever it came on Channel Eleven, I watched the entire thing back to front. It's right up there with Flash Gordon and Star Wars to me, like of 70s, 80s movies that I just, whenever it came on, I just had to watch it. Does it still hold up? Well, during a, a there's a Hurricane Sandy happened a couple of years ago and we lost power for like a week. But during that week, I had downloaded an iOS, you know, a, an iPad version of a He-Man game. And this game was so silly. It was, it was so good, but they also understood how ridiculous the whole like idea of He-Man was. So they had a lot of in-jokes and a lot of like silly jokes, and it made me love the characters more. It wasn't mocking the characters. It was, and it wasn't very meta. It wasn't very wink-wink. It was more or less just like, it was very smartly done where they appreciated the material, but also could understand how ridiculous a lot of it is. It was fantastic. So I loved that game. And would it still work today? Absolutely. They're actually, they've been developing a He-Man movie. First of all, they have, a, they have an updated series that's done by CGI that's on Netflix right now. I think it's produced by Kevin Smith and it's in his third season. It just was released August uh, 2022. And I know they're working on the fourth season. Still as popular as ever. The toys are collector's items and they're working on a movie with Noah Centennial. I think he might've dropped out and there's a new actor in it, but he's going to be playing He-Man. So the IP still has legs on it. So I think He-Man is awesome. I love it. I'm about to go try to find that Dolph Lundgren movie. I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube or Netflix or something. Anyway, let me put a button on this episode and let you know that you can follow us at People's Media where you can hear all the good stuff, all our old episodes. Follow me at Mike A. Sims on TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff on YouTube. Check out the skits. Check out our other shows. Like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. Listen to this and all older episodes on Apple Podcasts. I've been the Nefarious Mike A. Sims. You've been fantastic. And I will see you on the flip side of humanity. Humanity.